Hi, and welcome to another episode of Open Conversations. I'm your host, Joseph. So on today's episode, we are talking about modern hometown. And the hometown in this is Ghana. So this is an episode where we have a specific conversation about Ghana, which is my home country. And it's funny because even though I was born here, um, I'm still not recognized as much because I get a lot of questions from people who ask me where I'm from. Sometimes they want to know which part of the country I'm from, and other times it's, they want to know if I'm actually full-blown Ghanaian, which I am. Um, sometimes I do understand that the accent plays a part, but that's because I lived in the States for a couple of years. But also it's because I, on the other hand, do not speak any of the local languages. So sometimes people tie uh, identity or where you're coming from to the language you speak, which is we have multiple languages, but the most popular is tree and some other languages as well. But despite that, um, I still get that, which is interesting. But on today's episode, I wanted to get some perspectives from my guests about how they feel about Ghana after living in other countries for some while. So one of my guests, she lives in, lives in the UK. She comes back to Ghana sometimes. And another one also lives in the US. I think both are currently in the US right now. But they have their own perspectives on growing up in Ghana, you know, leaving Ghana, coming back and just trying to fit in. And they have some perspectives also on culture um, and what's happening as far as tradition goes. And also we discussed the recent news about LGBT in Ghana, where uh, an LGBT office was raided. And it's caused a lot of controversy because um, one thing that happens in Ghana, people are not, majority of people seem not to be for um, folks who are of that um, ilk, who are LGBT or part of that community. So I asked my guests what they thought about it and what they think about the whole thing about LGBT not being part of our quote-unquote Ghanaian culture. So I thought this was actually a really good episode. Um, so we had those discussions. Um, you may or may not agree, depending where you're from, about the issue. But I still think it's good to get perspective about um, issues like that. So yeah, this was actually a really good episode. It's one of the lengthy episodes we've recorded so far. Um, but I think you really enjoyed this. So there are three separate um, conversations. So I think you really get good perspectives from each of these um, conversations. So I hope you like it. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So let me just first ask you. So right now you're in the UK, but um, the assumption that you were born here, right? In Ghana. Okay, so when was like the first time that you left Ghana to another situation? Was it UK or somewhere else? Uh, so the first time I was about 10 months old <laughs> and um, my mother, my siblings and myself moved to the UK to join my dad who was um, completing his medical training. So my earliest memories are actually from the UK. Oh, okay until I was about I think I was just about seven just about to turn seven 
and then we came back to Ghana uh, and I started primary school I started in class two okay. and um, so yeah my it's my earliest memories are from the UK but because I spent the next 12 years in Ghana I would say my formative years where in Ghana myself as holy Ghanaian regardless of wherever else I've been like if you ask me where I'm from I'm probably never in my life going to say that I'm from the UK unless I'm trying to pull your legs um I'm Ghanaian and you know that's how I see myself Mm, Um, I left again it was uh after secondary school so I was 18 when I left again this time for 10 years so I went did undergrad in the U.S. and then came and worked in the U.K. for six years and then moved home. Uh, I was in Ghana for five years and then <laughs> I left again. And I've been away for a little over two years now. So for those who are good at math, you add it all up, uh, you'll see just how uh, old and creaky I am getting. <laughs> I wouldn't say too old. So, so yeah, so but interesting, you know, the kind of the back and forth, you know, spending some years here and spending some years out there. Like, do you feel, I, I guess, do you feel like you're, you're more, your roots are more in Ghana or do you feel like you're more adjusted outside? Um, like I said, I, I, Ghana is what I consider home. It's where I consider home. Okay. UK, uh, that's the you know the country I've spent the second most amount of time. I think I will always feel like a foreigner here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to for it to be familiar because it's one of those like London is one of those cities where so many people are not from here. Yeah, uh, being comfortable speaking English is pretty much all you really need to navigate this place, mm-hmm. if even. So. You know, being feeling foreign here puts me in the company of a lot of people, even at work and stuff. So it's not a huge issue. Whereas in Ghana, say if you don't speak any local languages, you may feel a bit more alienated. Yeah. Um. So it's effectively like yes, I speak the quote-unquote local language here. Um. And uh, forgotten what the question was. No, I was just saying. Like, do you feel? I guess when you come back, do you feel more at home? especially after living outside for like uh, some years? I would say when I came back the first time, when I came back after being away for 10 years, um, that was probably when I struggled the most. And it wasn't even the day-to-day I struggled with. It was the work environment because mm. I had never worked in Ghana before. I left as a, as a young adult, so I'd never actually oh. have had a job. And um, I... I did struggle with the slow pace of things. Mm-hmm. I because I left a corporate job in the UK to come to Ghana to work at a startup. So there were several ways in which there was a culture shock, right? Yeah, definitely. And I especially remember having a very hard time with how terrible the banking experience was. And I'm sure I've complained about this to you before because <laughs> I was, yeah, you know. And um, I and just sort of the absence of certain things you can take for granted. In, mm. in other countries, for example, a postal service. Mm-hmm, I was working mm-hmm. for an e-commerce company, so there not being a functioning postal service was a real problem uh, in trying to grow that business. So, yeah. Um, yeah, there were definitely struggles. I feel like outside work, maybe the biggest struggle was driving. 
Um, I had never driven. Um, I had a license, but I'd never driven in all the years I lived in the US and the UK. I never got behind the wheel of a car except for my driving lessons and for the test, right? Right. So I came back to Accra (laughs) and my father (laughs) had just retired. So we moved from Kolebu to Adenta, the Adenta side of town which was very unfamiliar to me. Mm-hmm. And I had to drive home. The first few times I drove home, I got lost. Like I missed the junction and, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> roaming around trying to find my own house because growing up on the Kolebu side of town, you get to know, it, it's very far away from things north of, I guess, East Lagon. So it was very yeah. unfamiliar neighbor. True. And, and at the time, the highway between Oponglo and the UPSA junction everybody was using one side of the highway because the other side hadn't been completed Completer, yeah. so you're on this highway in the dark and there are cars coming opposite direction like right at you <laughs> like and this was my my baptism of fire into driving uh so at the at the point in the beginning we had a system with my mother i had to call her when i got to work in the morning so she knew i actually arrived <laughs> just to reassure her <laughs> and then call her when i was leaving in the evening so she'd know when to expect me because it was it was terrible like the whole road through Medina didn't have any street lights didn't have any traffic lights at the junctions like it was really an experience Mm -hmm. um so I think yeah I think that was the biggest struggle outside obviously dealing with work and you know dealing with trying to build something new relatively new at the time e-commerce this is looking 2013 2014 right and an economy that just didn't seem that ready for it yeah that's true that's true do you think Um, that you would have been a bit more comfortable if you hadn't experienced like the what living was in the uk if you were just in ghana throughout a bit more comfortable like as far as yeah but with the work the working environment how the, the pace of working and everything else um I I think so. I mean, I feel like if I had never left, I would probably have gone to medical school and become a doctor, so I would have gone down a completely different path. Um So it's hard for me to compare just because mm. you know, it was a complete deviation from what I originally wanted to be and do, like right. leaving yeah. Uh so I, I, I wonder, I, I don't think there was any way in which, come, I don't think there's any way I could have come back and been comfortable right away. That's one thing. And secondly, yes, if I'd never left, obviously, I would have gotten used to the way things operate. Mm-hmm. I would have been, at the time, six or seven years into the workforce, so nothing would have been a surprise, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, it's very hard to predict how things would have gone. You know, I just, I say I would have probably gone to medical school before, you know, I'd have also decided halfway through that's not what I wanted. So. Yeah, that's true. I, that's just, true. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, so, so just uh, the years of living in Ghana, I guess you kind of ingested the cultural aspects of things. Um, mm-hmm. So just trying to do that comparison with like places like UK, Mm-hmm. What what are your thoughts about how Ghana's culture is and how UK's culture is? Because sometimes, you know, they kind of teach you differently about, you know, 
work, like you said, work and environment, um, as far as religion, as far as everything else, compared to mm-hmm. Ghana, where it's more, I guess, more religious and moral stuff. So how does that compare as far as living in Ghana compared to living outside as far as um, culture? This is a tricky one, um, especially because there's, there are a lot of question marks around what culture is. Oh, yes, that's very true. Um, looking at what's happening right now, where people are using the excuse of culture to oppress um, members of the LGBTQ community, because their understanding of culture is, um, I guess, the the one man marrying one actually no not even one man marrying one woman because people are trying to defend polygamy they're about to say um, polygamy, even as yeah. they bash homosexuality yeah so it's about heterosexuality that's culture Basically. in ghana that's how people define culture right mm-hmm. that's not how i define culture i don't define Ghanaian culture along those lines mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to say oh this is Ghanaian culture it's even harder for me to say xyz is british culture because Mm -hmm. i'm an immigrant here uh and a black one at that i don't feel especially culturally aware when it comes to what it's like to grow up as a black person in this country um or what it's like to grow up in this country period i came here as a working adult right for the most part like the years i spent here as a child i was very young um and i even though i have very vivid memories of you know preschool and early years of primary school I don't see them through the lens of cultural practices I was Mm -hmm. a kid doing kid things right um so I think when I'm comparing it's very specific to my experiences and not always to comparing two cultures right I don't have similar levels of exposure to the way people live in in the two countries Mm -hmm. um so i don't know definitely there are differences in the way we approach things like there's an age hierarchy in ghana where there isn't really an age hierarchy here that's one thing um there is sexism in both places but it manifests differently Mm -hmm. um certain things are deemed unacceptable in the workplace here that are not as unacceptable in the workplace in ghana yeah, that's true. Um, at the same time, I would say people are generally more familiar with each other at work in Ghana than they yeah. are here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that could also be that it's just more ethnically diverse here. And so people treat each other with a bit more suspicion. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. That's just one theory. That's true. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. You were right about the, how we view culture it's so funny I was thinking about it this week and I remember when I was in school we were learning about social studies and about um, different ethnic groups and I remember we were talking about the Krubo girls and the rights of puberty for girls growing up and I remember we were reading about how girls go to puberty and they have to do the puberty rights and then one aspect of it was that they had to well, in retrospect, they had to go through um, female genital mutilation, like because, and the reason that was given was because it was for their husbands, or so they wouldn't get sexually active, and they would stay with their husbands. Some 
weird reason by the time when you were a kid you didn't know that but mm-hmm. the reason given for all that is that well that's their culture and now as an adult when you look back and it's like okay we're saying it's a culture but then there's also some sort of like moral aspects to it where it's you're causing physical harm to a young woman who doesn't know what she's going through mm-hmm. so it's it's always funny when the defense of against or i guess the attack against some things is that well it's our culture so we don't do that here versus well is it a moral or is it a right thing versus that so i always find that always interesting yeah it's a cop out really it's a cop out and excuse for people to continue to do harmful things um, yeah so, it, it's true because in in this like okay then at, at, what, at which point do we say that okay it's yes yeah, it's a culture but don't we evolve as a culture in a way don't exactly. we bring in new things so to just say what well we've been doing this all along and it's our culture that means it seems very i'm going to say backward but it's very stagnant that we're not kind of mm-hmm. moving along mm-hmm especially because we've only been in like a single independent nation for 60 something years yeah and trying to unify like you said i didn't even know about fgm in probo culture i didn't know this i knew about depo but i didn't know where it started and where it ended yeah i think it's right? depo yeah yeah um you can't then say ghanian culture dictates x y and z because we were not always one Ghana and every group has what they consider to be their culture so to then try and unify that around homophobia to me is ridiculous mhm um yeah, yeah especially ridiculous and it's also funny because there's also been like historical studies that show that well actually if you if somebody have done research so that maybe or does that it's not always been that it's actually there have been um uh people who have been you know in homosexual relationships back in the day that we are not aware of and people have actually done the research to show that i think somebody posted something on social media about kenya or something like that mm-hmm. they've done a research and show that well they've actually been you know same sex relations in some tribes and some places so mm-hmm. it, it's always funny to see how people are quick to attack when we don't even know the full scope of some things and we just say well I mean, no yeah. and i think in addition for me i kind of i understand why people do it but i feel like some of these arguments that oh but they have always been um people in same sex relationships through our history and this is proof like i understand why people do it yeah but part of me is also like even if there weren't any there are now and they deserve protection <laughs> exactly Exactly. It's, it's like the yeah. same thing we're saying. It's evolution. Like, okay, they are now. So, why is it now? We're just saying, you know, it's not. It's never been. But things always evolve and come. We get used to it. We adapt. Exactly. Like it's. You're never gonna convince someone with history, historical evidence. The hatred, the the history and culture thing. Like I said, it's not the real reason. I do think it's important to highlight it though because it's often glossed over when we're learning about our history. But using it as a way to try and win homophobic people over, I don't know how effective it is, but they just need to understand that this is what we this is today. Today we have people who love people of the same sex and you need to get over it. Yeah. 
it's gonna it take yeah it is what it is i don't know how long it's gonna take but yeah it's it's kind of instilled in the general populace that it's wrong and there's a lot of religious thing because we like i said ghana is very religious and conservative so they're going to use the bible as that truth but are or whatever we though, are we really though are we are we conservative Outside the performance performance oh yes oh yes yes that that's true i mean that's a perfect word to use performance because it's so funny to see the hypocrisy when people always claim morality but then you see them do the opposites in real life it's always funny when i see that and even just the state of the place like i think Mm -hmm. poverty allowing certain like allowing poverty to exist um, to the especially to the extent that we allow it to exist in Ghana, I think that's immoral. Exactly, especially when we have the facilities, the resources to actually pull together There's and actually to go around. Exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. But we've decided to frame morality in terms of who puts their genitals where, and, and you know neglect things which actually affect the majority of the population. Mm-hmm. And so here we are. Um, in the middle of a pandemic fighting with gay people <laughs> who haven't done anything to anyone yeah yeah it's it's one of those things and I don't, and and again it's funny because the again the argument is always that well it's a western thing and they're trying to impose it on us and I'm like but again we <laughs> it's, it's a globalized world and what do we like it or not we the fact that that's not true in the first place and also another thing is that we still take cultures or we take some cultural things from other places in the world and we use it here. So how come that's yeah. never pushed against? But this aspect, like, oh yeah, they totally brought it here. I'm like, that's not true. Because Christianity, I can say, was imposed in Ghana. So I don't understand why that's not a bigger deal. I had an argument with, a, with someone um, I grew up with. Uh, this was years ago, going back almost 10 years. And he was trying to argue that, yeah, it's a Western import. And and I asked, like, on what grounds do you think it's a Western import? Like, human beings have been human beings. You can't convince somebody who is not gay to be gay. You can't convince somebody who is gay to be straight. Like, it's not such... It's, you know, it's not so far outside the normal scope of human behavior that you think it's something that someone has to import Exactly. And his argument was, well, did I do I think that when the Ashantis were fighting the British, that the Ashanti men were sleeping with each other on the battlefield? Right. <laughs> and I just, what do you say when someone says that? <laughs> like, what's the comeback to that? It's so bizarre. It's such a yeah. bizarre. Like, what do you say? It's like I, what I don't if... think I had anything. I was just I was speechless. Yeah, it's such a false dichotomy. Like. <laughs> false equivalent like what does that do anything that's not the <laughs> argument like this is some there's no amount of look at the examples of um same-sex relationships in history that is going to change the mind of someone like that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right yeah um if there's a way to move along without having to bring everybody on board that would be great because you just can't convince some people that is true. That is true. Like I said, it's it's instilled. We just grew up and we're taught that this is bad. But again, it's, it's I don't know. It's one of those things that you don't know how to fix, and you hope that people evolve. But again, 
I'm not too sure. Oh, I don't um, have the answers. I wish I did. Yeah, same, 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 same. But yeah, um, but yeah, I think we can talk about. Okay, let's talk about. Okay, let's talk about positives in a way versus mm-hmm. outside positives. I I think one thing I've noticed when people come to Ghana, especially from their cultures, is they say like. For instance, if somebody comes from the U.S. to Ghana, they say, "Oh, I like how Ghana is laid back. The food is great. I think, yeah, I think one of the main things they always say is the food is great, mm-hmm. and it, it's always interesting to hear. I think that's one of the positive things we have as far as you know, attracting people as far as tourists and everything else. But I wanted to ask, like, is that all we have to offer as?" As you know, as a country, because sometimes I would look at outside countries and say, "Well, they have really good infrastructure. They have really good efficiency. Like things are efficient there compared to here." And I'm always like, "Am I the one who is not looking at things in Ghana positive mm-hmm. light, or is it that maybe there's I'm looking too positive at other nations?" So when you say what Ghana has to offer, do you mean specifically to? people coming in from outside yeah or be, in general yeah i think people coming in from outside because they see some things here that may i don't see as much because i've gone here all the time but they point out these things and i'm still kind of saying yeah but we don't have this we don't have that mm-hmm. i mean so ghana is different things to different people right yeah to some people it's where you get to be a person as opposed to a black person for three to four weeks every December, right? Mm-hmm. You get to get into whatever club you want. You get to speak as loudly as you want. You get to drive as recklessly as you want. You get to, you know, I don't know, be, be a freer human being than you would be wherever else it is that you live that has decided that people who look like you don't deserve the full benefits of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And I say this without an ounce of shade because (laughs) in some respects, I'm one of those people in a way in that right now I'm back in a country where I have a different set of rights than I do in my own. Yeah. Um, And then to other people, like to people who live in Ghana full time, it's not, there's no, you, you know, Ghana isn't a place that you think of separate from yourself, right? It's an integral part of who you are. So those two groups of people, and I'm sure there's more than two groups, but I'm focusing on these two, mm-hmm. are going to need different things from Ghana. Uh-huh. Very cool. cool. And are going to measure Ghana's performance against those needs completely differently. So, you know, one person uh, is looking at it from the perspective of, oh, um, my parents are from here. I want to come back. I want to start a business. Yeah. So you need Ghana to have... Um, pro-business practices or ease of registration of businesses or ease of you know also a certain business infrastructure you want to just plug into mm-hmm. if for example you're a university graduate or you're a university graduate who's finished their national service and you're looking for a job and you're not thinking of entrepreneurship you're not going to want those things from ghana you're going to want an economy that has enough companies ready and willing to hire new graduates and train them right yeah. So it's you know, and I think Ghana needs to work more for the second group of people. 
mm. for the people for whom Ghana is home, it does sometimes feel like there's an outside emphasis on foreign investment and tourism and all things external looking in. Um, it definitely, I mean, to me, it definitely does look that way. But it needs to, it needs to not be that way. You can't, you can't, you know, craft your country's policies based on tourism. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have so much more to offer your own people. <laughs> that is so true. I'm having a conversation like, about this, yeah. You know, <laughs> Ghana is more than the beach mm-hmm. and Oxford Street mm-hmm. and God knows where else. Mm-hmm. It's vast and diverse and all these other things and to a large extent neglected because it's a very yeah. Accra-focused country as well. Very. Too, too much in my opinion, actually. Yeah. So... Like, of course, there are going to be positives. Like, every country has its positives. Of course, there are going to be those things. Um, but when you're trying to build, because we're still very much in the building phase. We're nowhere near the maintenance right. phase. We have a whole economy to build. Yeah. It's not just about celebrating where you're great. I mean, obviously, you have to do that. But it's looking at where you could be better or where you're failing. Right? And, you know, that's a much less sexy job. <laughs> It's, it's thankless it and is, yeah. and boring and mathematical and number crunch it's just it's just none of it's not glamorous at all yeah it, it, it really not and sometimes I look at people who or I don't know if I'm included but yeah I kind of look at people who want to kind of leave to see greener patch, pastures outside I, I don't really blame them because, like you said, there's a second group of people. They want to come out and get a job and provide for their family or for themselves, and they're not seeing it here. So they're going to seek it externally or go to another country to do it. So in a way, I, I, I totally understand them. And if they want to do it and come back, that's great. But if they want to go out and not come back too, I, I don't really blame them as much because of what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'll regret saying this out loud, <laughs> but I don't think any Ghanaian owes it to Ghana to stay if the country is not serving them anymore. Yeah, I think I, I also agree with that part because sometimes this type of patriotism that people, or oh, I don't know if it's patriotism, but it's like, well, I was born here, so I'm supposed to do something while I'm here. And I'm like, yeah, but you can also, if you want to live a certain life, and we live in a globalized world. You want to go out and do something else. Nobody's going to, nobody should um, hold you down for that. Yeah. I mean, you get the, I mean, I don't believe in reincarnation. So I think you get the one life. Yeah. And you should live it as best as you can. <laughs> so if that means leaving Ghana, leave. After all, hmm. what? <laughs> the population is growing so fast. Very I think we're, we're closing in on 30 million now. Yeah, that's the estimate I think now. When yeah. I was in school, it was 23. Mm-hmm. You know, we're replacing fast enough. I think if you want to go, you shouldn't <laughs> feel bad about going. True. true. <laughs> so. um, uh, yeah, shouldn't feel bad. That's true. That's true. Okay. Um, not to have this conversation too long. So let's kind of wrap up with this last question. And it's kind of going to be a hypothetical. So if I somewhat hypothetically 
somebody put a gun to your head and said, okay, you have to choose where you're going to live going forward, which would you choose? Would you choose to come back to Ghana and stay? Or would you stay where you are for the indefinite time you're there? What kind of question is that? <laughs> it's, it's, I know it's an either or question. As I know it's a tough question, but you can actually, you, you can choose not uh, to pick either choice. See. And so what, what are the rules? If I pick one country, I can never visit the other. Yeah, like like the thing is that you're going to pick which country where you're probably going to settle down if you want to start a family, work, all that stuff. But go, mm. going to foresee future, this is what your path is. Hmm. You don't have to, to pick either or. You can just choose, you know what, none. No, it's just I'm, the reason I'm struggling is that I've never really seen myself as a stationary person uh-huh. okay bouncing around is something i do like i have done you know these days the bones are hurting so it's harder to <laughs> pack up and move to new places gotcha. uh, it's a tough one because i know that being in ghana one of the only ways i'm able to stick around for a long time is if i'm able to leave periodically mm-hmm. um uh, but at the same time, you know, the UK is not home for me. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, probably never will be. That's true. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Fine. Is... I'll, I'll, pick, I'll pick Ghana. <laughs> but okay. But if you did have like a choice, okay, you could pick any country in the world to actually go and stay for the foreseeable future. Is there any country or are you still on that? You need to go around visit other places. There isn't another country because all the other countries I'm curious about, mm-hmm. I haven't spent enough time in to know for a fact that after I see all the uglies, I'll still want mm-hmm. to stay. Because mm-hmm. countries can be really cute from the outside. That's true. I when mean, you're yeah. two or three years in, then you see the thing. You're like, actually, nah. Yeah. And, <laughs> Whereas and, I think for Ghana, I know all it yes, has, like all the ugliness it has. Exactly. Not just the the beauty and yes the so yeah you're used to that ugly that ugly side so you've adapted to it in a way so it's more familiar mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah, yeah. That makes sense huh yeah but yeah um this was good this was good i think we have like a lot to cover i mean ghana is is, is always going to be an interesting country and also the whole topic of you know going outside you know trying to make another life apart from your own country is always interesting it kind of sucks if I'm going to be <laughs> honest. Like when I, I meet people who have never had to leave their country for any reason, mm-hmm. except for holidays, because everything they've ever needed, their country has been able to provide. I envy them. Hmm. I understand. I it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. So, it does suck. In a way. I mean, I, remember, I think I remember actually this question last season I was asking, do you think in our lifetime Ghana will ever be like developed to a point where it's, <laughs> it's far better than it is now and you said you're not too sure after today's events I'm <laughs> even less sure yeah I think I'm, I'm on that boat with you I don't uh, remember the last time I felt so heartbroken about something the government did yeah, I, I mean, there's so many instances, but I think yeah, this one, it's it's like, wow, 
you guys just they're like whatever you don't, you don't even care about like, people's I, rights I feel like the embezzlement and incompetence mm-hmm. the sort of normal normal scheduled programming uh, the oppressing um, shutting down the LGBTQ office that's a new thing a yeah, new that, low that's new low <sighs> well all we hope is that people who are you know, having their rights oppressed upon are actually safe. And then I don't, I don't know when this, you kind of want this thing to die down so at least people don't present their anger to people who they suspect or do any harm. But uh, we hope for the best, I think. That's what has been keeping me up at night. Yeah, that's that's something uh, that I think about. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, um, but yeah, hopefully that's, on that, I guess, kind of morbid note in the way that we hope for the <laughs> no, best. No, let's end on a high. Let's end on a high. Yeah, we can end on a high. But yeah, I mean, one thing that's on a high is that in Ghana, we have gotten our first doses of, va- of vaccinations. Yes, um, we have. Yes, and more is on the way. So mm-hmm. if the, the way things are going, I think our COVID case is also dropping. Okay, that's good. Yeah, so so there's a little bit of uptick. So hopefully by, I think by June, they said we'll have another dosage coming in. So mm-hmm. hopefully by Christmas, you know, we'll have more vaccinated population and that could help, you know, curb down the spread of COVID, which I'm excited about. Yeah, that would be one less thing for us to worry about. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. But yeah, that's uh, so yeah, so that's how we end on a positive note. See, not everything yeah. has to be negative, <laughs> but yeah, but thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you making the time. Always Anytime. nice talking to you. Same here. Take awesome. care. You too. Take care, and hopefully, get out of quarantine soon. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> all right, bye. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, so it's just to get off the bat, I just want to know, um, what was your first experience leaving Ghana? Or basically, were you born in Ghana and did you go out? Or were you, did you, wait, were you born in Ghana, then you left? Or were you born outside and then you came to Ghana? I was born in Ghana, born and raised. Um, I left Ghana, I mean, as a child, we would do trips to like England and America. But I didn't move until I was 18 for undergrad, so right out of high school. Um, so yeah, but most of my adult life has been outside Ghana because I've now lived in the U.S. cumulatively for 10 years now. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, and what what was your life growing up in Ghana like? Like, how did you find it? Um, I mean, we were privileged (laughs) kids growing up in Tema, um, me and my sister. My parents are both um, educated, so we were fortunate enough 
that because they were okay so my parents grew up in poor families but they were fortunate enough to get educated and because of that they made sure to get us educated so we had a very like somewhat bourgeoisie upbringing because there was a mix of like cultural um northern upbringing with um what my parents experienced like my mom um, lived in England and my dad lived in Japan or they lived in Japan together at some point so they also brought those cultural things they learned over there into our household so we had this very dynamic Ghanaian Japanese English household thing that was going on wow um yeah so it was it was a very different kind of upbringing I would say from your average Ghanaian child in Accra or Tema yeah um, Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Like did it clash with like I guess the Ghanaian culture like as far as having like a Japanese type and then you know local type did it clash? No, it didn't clash. I think it was I mean we're very aware that we're Ghanaian, right? Because yeah. we live in Ghana. And but then our parents were also like we would have dinners where we're sitting on the floor rolling sushi. Cool. And it would, and in those moments they would be talking about yeah, when we're in Japan this and that. or um like we'll have tea with my mom and she'll talk about when she was in England so it was very much like our parents pulling us into what they had experienced outside but not necessarily let's not think that this is who we are because it's like this is some other culture we've experienced and we're showing you but this is not who you are you're still Ghanaian right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah it wasn't clashing it was just an awareness of there being like a bigger world outside of our household oh okay so basically it's more like a bit of more exposure than you know just a local culture You're like okay here's some other culture you can actually be aware of yeah um but with the japan thing it's interesting because my dad did his masters in japan and in japanese so he read writes speaks japanese okay. um he would do a lot of business with the japan embassy in ghana as well um just oh. because he had that advantage of language and so in that he made a lot of japanese friends and Um, we would go to like Japanese festivals in Accra as well like the Yasakoi festival is one we used to go to like every year so it was exposure and also participation mm. um, just because um, my dad had also built a Ghanaian Japanese community that we could tap into oh okay um, yeah okay that's cool so like growing up in Ghana like so yeah, as you said it was just Ghanaian like did you find yourself like getting involved with the culture a lot or did you be, have seen it as totally did you feel like you're an outsider in a way like not necessarily outsider but did you find yourself having issues like belonging to the culture or yes a hundred percent okay a hundred percent um i think i remember this experience in primary school so in my in our households we would speak english and we had dstv you know like the the very yep yep um, yep, yep. <laughs> the very about. middle class middle to upper class ghanian household where like you're not even watching local tv so you're very yeah. somewhat disconnected from ghanian culture unless you're in school physically or like mm-hmm. you go visit someone or sleep over somewhere so i remember in primary school we were talking about music i think this was like class 5 or class 6 and i was going on and on about like Eminem and like 50 cent that was my and then i guess too <laughs> one of my friends was like ah you do even know who that's the brass i was like no, <laughs> no no and then in that moment everyone looked at me like oh you don't even know that's the brass and then i just turned around and i was like oh shit like i don't belong here 
Yeah, I understand. I, I mean, it, it's funny because I had the same experience because I think I was I was exposed way more to music outside of Ghana than inside Ghana. Because yeah, I like I knew about Daddy Lumba, I knew about that somewhere, but I didn't listen to the music as like these other people. I listened to way more Fifty Cent, Eminem, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, those kind of people. So I was like totally- Britney. Yeah, exactly. I was listening way more to those songs. I was really more pop. Like, as you said, when you're watching DSTV, you're watching, like, MTV, how everybody behaves there. So you're not really, I guess, connected to the local music scene. But yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to fit in when you're kind of exposed to more things outside. But did you but did you ever get into the local music, even, even though people were saying, like, you kind of listen to outsiders? I don't think I was connected to... Or like I tapped into local music, or I would say popular local music because um, my mom listens to very traditional like Hausa, uh-huh. Zabama music, and we would listen to those in the house. So like I knew, oh cool, like the strings and like I knew that. But then when it came to like um, like you're saying that Mumba or like um, Amachi Dede or like the mainstream high life artists I had no idea about. Also my parents are were not Ashanti. Like my dad is Dagomba and my mom is Zabrama. She's from like Niger originally. Oh. Okay. So and local music at the time was very like tree heavy. And yeah. we, we don't speak tree. So I never connected to like high life at the time. Totally um but I think once like people like Tic Tac and Book Back. Yeah. And like um for Explore prior once they became more of like once that hip life culture started to grow and it we will admit that it has some hip-hop undertones that's so true. then that's it true. started to feel more like me and then that's when i was like okay now i feel like i know some things <laughs> yeah now you can um, get to it yeah yeah so it wasn't until that era of music started to become more popular than high life that i was like okay yeah, and i feel like yeah it's like on top mm-hmm. okay that's cool so yeah so music really was that bond that like okay i can at least i can go into local culture with it yeah it was it was okay, um cool. so um yeah. yeah so like when did you i guess you say you did you leave for college before you finished like did you go to boarding school or did you leave before so i finished high school i did sos okay. in tema and then we were the SATs and then um, after SOS went to college in my freshman year was in New York. Okay. And how long did you stay there before you, I guess you came back? Um, so I was in New York for a year and then I transferred to Massachusetts for three. And then I worked in Georgia for two. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's five. Okay. So yeah, I think I was there for five, six years before I came back to Ghana. Yeah. And and what was that experience like? Because I I know when I left Ghana, two thousand and five, I stayed there mm-hmm. for six years. When I came back, I had a very hard time adapting because I don't know. I I don't know if it's because you're kind of more of an adult, so you can see things differently. So I just want to get your perspective. Like when you came back. Did you have a hard time transitioning and getting used to what was happening or was it easier for you? Mm-hmm, 100% had a hard time because I keep saying this. So I left when I was 18 and I didn't go back till I was like, what, 24? Yeah, I think the same time like me, yeah. So 
the most defining adult years of mine happened outside of Ghana. And um, also between 18 and 24, I'm learning, I'm like becoming my own person and like independence and mm-hmm. like shopping for myself, paying bills, like all these, like adulthood was happening and was happening yes. outside of Ghana. Right. And which also means like my perception of what it means to be an adult was different because now I'm paying taxes in a very formal way and like I'm aware of like parking tickets and there's just a way of life that has been defined for me in the last six years and so I come to Ghana and everything's different a hundred percent also even like the infrastructure like the roads yeah. that I knew were different there were buildings in places where there were never buildings like so I just walk out the plane or out the airport I'm just like whoa <laughs> nothing's <laughs> the same so not only am I like restructuring my visual like remembrance of Ghana because it's yeah. not the same anymore okay. now I'm trying to align the fact that like public transportation is not the same mm-hmm. customer service is not the same yes that's true shopping centers are not the same like what it means to be fully like a full-time employee is not the same what your salary will look like here versus there's not like so many things were just different and also i sound different now so people are more aware that i haven't been in ghana for a while my references are different (laughs) examples i give analogies everything is different and everyone is more and more aware that okay you haven't been here in a while and then you start to feel like you don't belong Mm-hmm. I think what was hardest for me is I they started labeling me at my job in Ghana. They started labeling me the American girl. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's it's so funny because like even actively now, I get a lot of questions like that ask me, "Am I Ghanaian?" And it's one of the mm-hmm. things that, like, in in a way, I, I playfully just play like play it off. But it's coming to a point where like this is it's coming weird because I don't even speak and they'll ask me am I Ghanaian because of how I look like I'm a little bit light skinned but I'm not that like I was born and raised here but I do mm-hmm. speak a bit differently but I do get that thing of oh where are you from why are you from here are you Ghanaian and I have to and then when I always say yes I'm from here I get the question or oh, what language do you speak. And mm. I always say that, well, I, I speak English. I don't speak any other language because I was never taught. I never learned. And then you get that question of how can you not speak it? Like, did you ever get like those type of examples? Like, how can you not speak any local language or anything like that? Oh, yeah, 100%. Even, even here, when I run into, I live in Los Angeles. And when I run into a Ghanaian and they're like, are you from Ghana? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, it's a saying. And I'm like, um... <laughs> I don't speak Chi, and it's like, how can't you speak Chi? Aren't you right, Ghanaian? Right. And so I, I get that in Ghana as well. And it's like, well, first of all, Chi is not our first language as a nation. True. And it's also not the like Na- the, national the measuring tape <laughs> as well, to yeah. how Ghanaian you are. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, it, it's it's weird because it, that, that's always a thing. It's always come to language like, how can, if you're Ghanaian, how can you not speak? And your language or a, a language it does it, it sometimes feels like it's a bit bothersome like i don't know like what does a Ghanaian represent is it always going to be language yeah i i mean i understand it because to be honest before like we were colonized we would have been speaking some form of local language right true and even for lots of our parents english is not their first language it's their second yeah. language yeah and so i get why as 
a Ghanaian like your the purity of your Ghanaianness will be a measure of how which local language you speak. I can understand that. But at the same time, we grew up in a generation where everything we're taught is in English in primary school up until high school. And then there's one class where you're learning some other language possibly like in the BC system, right? Yeah. And that one is not even about how fluent you become. It's about getting a one. <laughs> so <laughs> true. The system has changed such that like even like journalists and like politicians we hail them for how big their english is and like what words they use in their speeches so it's just ironic that we have like english has become such a huge part of our culture and like a measure of your intelligence but somehow it hasn't become a measure of how ganian you are yeah. and the two things don't reconcile for me at all and i think it's a conversation the nation has to have <laughs> like we need to come to an agreement as to what english means to us Yeah, I I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, because that that debate keeps coming up and down. I'm like it's it's getting a bit tired. I'm like, come on guys, you can't just be like like what this language really mean. But even yeah. but even with I think like even with this thing, the culture thing because like I was I was having a different conversation with somebody recently and we we're talking about like culture in general. Like Ghanians always say this is our culture this is what we do in our culture and when you live outside or different in a different country they have their own type of society or their own culture um mm-hmm. do you feel like um being exposed to another country and kind of being in that culture and then come back to Ghana do you think there's a clash because that always tends to happen like you go and learn something and you think it's a bit better so you think that it should be evolved in Ghana as well do you think that there's a clash I think for me it's like how do we define culture because we've we've reached a point as the world in general where there has been a lot of assimilation mm-hmm. such that you cannot pinpoint as to where something came from right because yeah. an example would be me having piercings and tattoos yeah where I go back to Ghana and my auntie sees me and is like ah yeah what is this this is not our culture and I'm mm-hmm. thinking well if you go to some village in probably upper west there's some young girl who probably has a nose piercing or some kind of local mm-hmm. tattoo so like what are you describing as our culture and then if yeah. you take even if you come to the US and then you see piercings and tattoos like a lot of that came from like the Samoan islands or the yeah. Netherlands yeah. or the Philippines like all of these things where we we where you stand on the land and say this is not our culture a lot of those things didn't even come from that land so what are you talking about but i think that for me that's where it gets difficult and even with this recent um i, I don't want to call it an argument because it's just a <laughs> human rights violation <laughs> like <laughs> just the violation of queer lives um it's been very difficult for me where like these big big people on the radio say this is not our culture because then then they tie it back to christianity and it's like well christianity is not your culture either because it came yeah. from the middle east yeah it's which funny. you most of you forget <laughs> yeah because i was having the same conversation i'm like you know we didn't have christianity they came when the colonizers came they actually brought that like religion to us and we kind of were I guess I don't know the word but yeah we were colonized and they just said yes religion so you have to be Christian so that's what happened so it's not necessarily our real culture when you think about it. we had we had traditional gods here so what are you talking mm-hmm. about yeah and 
I, yeah, so culture for me, it's a very, first of all, I feel like we have used the term culture because we don't, we, we use it without tying it to a definition. Yeah. So I feel like we should have people who throw it around, define it for us. Okay, what are you calling culture? And also, I feel like culture evolves. Like I was saying, with the assimilation of other experiences from other places, it's like culture changes with time. Culture changes with generations. Because um, even if you think about like, cellular devices mm-hmm. our grandparents would see it and say that was not our culture we were, we used to walk to each other's houses and say hello we'll not sit somewhere and call somebody that's rude you know what i mean mm-hmm. whereas like with our generation it's like going to somebody's house feels invasive i'd rather call you and find out if like you're okay than just show up and unannounced <laughs> so like in that sense culture has changed as to what privacy means you know <laughs> yes very true so people need to realize that with the times, things changes. Like things change, and sticking to something that happened in the 1800s as a culture that would define children born in 2050 seems very unfair and very unreasonable, considering how culture is also connected to like physical infrastructural changes as well changes in the clothes you're wearing, changes in the music you're listening to, changes in the way food is processed, like all of those things are connected to culture. And so you cannot use like things that happened centuries ago as a way to police people now. And that's my that's my two cents <laughs> on, on culture. Yeah, it's yeah, that that this as you said, I don't know if it's an argument, but yeah, this thing keeps coming up and this whole thing of culture, it's not it's not what we do and and yeah, there's a lot of misunderstandings and people just say, Well, it's not our culture and but there's no that's where the debate where it's where they end the debate. They never go further to actually discuss it. And I don't know why we keep doing that stonewalling. Because if we start having actual debates and talking about it, I think we realize that we are we were like in a way assimilating other cultures into our lives now mm-hmm. i don't necessarily think that somebody's sexual preference is like it's a, like a lifestyle like mm-hmm. i think that's what keeps coming up so the, because they keep saying it's a western thing it's a western thing i'm like it's not really a western thing because some of the people have been saying that actually if you start reading history or doing research you know people who were living i guess queer lives back then like you don't know there's a lot of documentation about that stuff so it's funny to hear that people say that we don't do this but you don't know because there's a lot of documentation things that were not documented that you don't know about yeah my thing with heterosexuals who are homophobic and like the goods is that when you were born as whatever sex they assigned you because gender identity is another issue that we should discuss but anyway when you were born with the penis and they told you you were a boy they told you that because you're a boy, you're supposed to like girls. Yeah. At no point in which, like, at the age in which you were told these things, you were not mentally capable of questioning, right? And so you've grown up with this list of instructions that some other person has told you, and then you've chosen to believe it, and now you've grown into this person, and you're fighting for these things that you were told. You never made these decisions for yourself. I think that's what gets me, is that we... And lots of people are afraid to sit down and reassess the way they see the world based on what they've been told. And I feel like that's a problem in itself, in itself where like you just believe what you just believe what everybody else has been telling you for so long that now you cannot even think for yourself. 
and also try to um, take yourself out of your body in a sense and just like reassess and be like, okay, but why was I told all these things? And like, why am I afraid to question all these things? And in that sense, using what you've been told to try and police other people because they should also be told how you want them to feel about what they do. It's very problematic. And I feel like we should just allow people to tell us who they are versus we telling people who they should be. Yeah, it, it's it's just true. I think how like how we're raised in Ghana, I think what happens is that it's it's very like I always say, I, I always tell my friends that I think Ghana is more conservative than we know because people have some certain mm. tendencies. So we don't like to stray outside like our comfort zone or our bubble because for some reason it's ingrained in our head that this is how we're supposed to go. So in introducing some sort of I guess new not new in quotes but these concepts is going to destabilize or change the way we go as a country or whatever but it's not necessarily true but again that's how we're raised I don't know how it will change it might change in the future I'm not sure as, as the generations continue growing and everything I don't know if it will evolve to a better spot where it's more yeah but yeah um, we'll see we'll definitely see I, I don't have any hope that things will change anytime soon. And that's because, like, and as much as we like to think we're progressive because a small community of Ghanaians <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> <laughs> are saying the right thing, like, when you go into actual Ghanaian communities, the hold that religion has on us as yeah. a nation yeah. is very scary. And it's the same thing I was saying earlier about being told. It's like you're born into this family and you say, okay, we were Christians. Yeah. And then you're born into another family it's like, okay, we were Muslims and this is what we live by. Yeah. And so suddenly your whole future has been laid out for you. Determined, because, yeah, determined basically. Yeah, just because you were born into a family that happens to be this religion. And so, like, even people our age who are supposed to be more open-minded or even Gen Zs who are supposed to be breaking all the rules, when they are born in a small village in Cape Coast or, like, in, yeah, in the central region, they are being born into a very structured family system and which doesn't allow them to see beyond anything else. And so it's, like, until open-mindedness is spread out throughout all the little parts of the country we like everybody is being taught to uphold these things yeah. for as long as they can and so it's, it's how do we break that barrier of like upholding my religion and my culture and like this is what i was taught this is what my good grandmother said and you know what i mean and i don't see that happening anytime soon yeah uh, and also i need to talk about this because it's bothering me <laughs> All right, let's a, lo- let's a lot of these Twitter advocates and progressives right. are only advocates and progressives on Twitter. Right. And once they're outside that circle of safety and they're with their actual friends from like Gay Hay and, and Fancy Pim, who are very bigoted, they don't say shit. Because yeah. it's like in, in that circle, in that space, you don't feel safe anymore. Right. Right. So and that's not anybody's fault. <laughs> it's just a society at large. Like, this is what the society is. You can't... If you, yeah. If you're online, but actual society, when you're living, you are different. You have to conform. That's a word I look for. Conform. Exactly. Conforming. And it's... It bugs me so much, but then I don't know what the solution is because, to be fair, like, protecting yourself in your space, 
mm-hmm. in an environment where you are like minority and you know that if you say something it could yeah. be harmful to you is very important but at the same time it's also the reason why these conversations are not being had with the average Ghanaian because it's like you're afraid to say exactly how you see the world because then it can be used against you yeah. and then it also makes it unsafe for like queer people because even though online you're free to be yourself and like dress the way you want to dress and talk the way you want to talk and use the pronouns you want to use it's like once you log off of Twitter and then you go and visit your family somewhere else suddenly you have to be a straight man yeah, like yeah, yeah. You, have, you have to hide it basically just, yeah and it, yeah. it's it's not sustainable for anyone's mental health or like that's true as, for the country as a whole because like now these people cannot even profit in professional settings they cannot give their full quality of work because they're not being themselves 100% because they're constantly aware of their surroundings and who might be suspecting that they're this or that you know it's just a mess honestly and i personally don't know how it changes but it really i think about it all the time wow okay okay yeah i mean yeah it's something like you said it's something to, to ponder but you, you just don't know where it's going to go you just don't know where it's going to go but i think that even leads me to my like my next like my, my next question is that i mean i mean i guess we're talking about negatives of society in ghana but like do you see anything that's positive Ghana offers the world in a way like something that's a bit open for everybody to enjoy in a way because I was having this conversation last time and somebody said that oh yeah Ghana we have people are coming to Ghana you know year of return blah 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 but I'm like do we really have is it as positive or as true as it's being advertised hmm this is a really good question and now it makes me reevaluate the way I see my country because I feel like <laughs> I'm always focusing on the negative. This is a really good question. Um I mean one of the things that excites me about if we're going back to the culture conversation and like um preserving culture okay. is the fact that we still do have like traditional festivals. Yeah. That, like yeah, like occasionally my dad would send me like festivals that are happening in Tamale like somebody sends me a video mm-hmm. of like the Damba festival or something and like just seeing us in our elements when the grass gets like dancing around the fire the fact that there are people that still do that yeah. and the fact that these things are actually connected to traditional religion but somehow we've been able to maintain them mm-hmm. it makes me i guess proud that we haven't been fully erased by the western world. Yeah. 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 In some ways they didn't colonize everything. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, even during those festivals somebody's wearing jeans. So like <laughs> Yeah, there's a way in which yeah. the white man is represented or whatever, but just the fact that we still have these festivals gets me really excited. As to how that positivity, I'm not sure. <laughs> um but I don't know. The year of return, no. I mean, I have my issues about it. Oh, do you want? Do you want? Do you want to be like say what you're in your mind about it? Um. I, okay. First of all, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in anything um, <laughs> migration related because these are just opinions. Let me say that first. I'm not an sure, expert. Sure. Expert, yeah. Um. I feel like. 
and I think um, Debbie, um, her handle is APRMCW on Twitter. She wrote a very beautiful piece on this. But basically, in inviting um, our Black um, kin outside of the continent to come back and like reconnect and like see like how they were ripped from the land and basically understanding where they come from in that sense. Yeah. In a way, Ghanaians are not realizing that even they have to reconnect with the happenings, like the things that happen there. It's like we very much defining it as something you learn in social studies. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, this is a thing that happened and then we learn about it and this is why there are Black people in America. Yeah. But then we haven't connected to how it's affected us who were left on the land. Yeah. Or like those of us who have ancestors who were involved in the selling of their brothers and sisters to slave owners. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's so. like, we, we, are, we are very much like, oh, we, pre- we preserve the forts. And that's for you to come and see. As for us, we're fine. (laughs) And so the year of return should have happened such that it wasn't about us faking some knowledge that we were giving to Black folk. It should have been all of us trying to sit together and deal with the tensions of what happened with the slave trade. The fact that now there's this, like, Africans are not Black people (laughs) conversation that's been happening. the fact that uh, Africans think black people are lazy and they've had this opportunity to be in America and they're not doing anything with it. And then black people too are like, Africans happen to be on the continent, but they're all poor and they're selling everything to the whites. Like we just Mm -hmm. don't see each other with any kind of respect. And all these conversations and reconciling should have happened with the year of return. It shouldn't have been a welcome to Ghana now you can vote like it, yeah. <laughs> and then what happens <laughs> beyond that like it was just very superficial that's the way it was very superficial yeah i i think i, I even echo those thoughts like it's very superficial because it's more it, it became more of like a celebrity thing okay we're going to invite this popular black celebrity back to ghana and they're going to see the castle and all that and then they'll just do whatever it never felt like a real reconnection like hey we have a, like a whole culture here. This is what happened. This is the history. This is the happiness of the kingdom. This is how everything went down. It was just like everything felt more crab based and mm. about the entertainment thing. And it just never felt as authentic as you could have been because it just felt that it was just for people to return, but never felt like it was for the people down here as well. So yeah. I totally echo those comments. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, true, true, true. Okay, so let me ask this last question, and it should be an interesting one because I asked somebody and she didn't give me a straight one. But let me ask you: so, if I had to give you a choice, let's say gun to your head, if you could come back to Ghana and stay for the rest of your life versus staying where you are or another place of your choice, which one would you pick? I'm not going back to Ghana. That's an easy one. Wow. That's very easy for me. Oh, not going back to Ghana. Like, like, what's like, what's your reason? Like, is it because of the recent issue happened, or is it just you don't think you fit in the whole like system? I don't fit, and it, it's it's something I experienced. So I moved back to Ghana for two years, and in those two years, I was regretting my decision every day. Wow. 
and it's because like i said i was very much avid like i was very much aware of the fact that i haven't lived in ghana for a long time people were calling me american girl um in the ghanian culture is such that you need to be like over 50 for anybody to take you seriously <laughs> <laughs> and so just being a 20 something year old girl who was coming back to make a difference you know how we all have this like <laughs> yes yes <laughs> we, we i think we can also could... contribute and save the world yes <laughs> oh my god i have that that oh my god i was so wrong i was so wrong <laughs> So coming back with that like oh my god I'm coming to contribute and you know and mm-hmm. everybody's just pushing back at you mm-hmm. that was frustrating yeah being unable to dress the way I want to dress I had yeah. to so I have a nose hoop I had to change it to a stud because somehow that was more professional mm-hmm. I had to make sure my tattoos were showing if I was at work I had dreadlocks with like the, the side shaved at the time I had to wear it in such a way that you couldn't see, see that my hair was shaved mm-hmm. um as one point like as open minded and progressive as my parents are like a year and a half into my stay my dad looked at me and was like yes but you know these pieces are not of a dagomba girl and i was just like excuse me <laughs> you've known me my whole life and suddenly i'm not a dagomba girl because pieces yeah. these pieces i've had for more than 5 years but anyway so there are just moments where even as open minded as your parents are they retract into that whole like societal yeah. pressure of what their child their child is supposed to look like and then they project that onto you um fi- like financially at like unless you have like a masters or phd nobody respects <laughs> your actual experience yeah. as something that you should be paid for yeah um also on top of that like i do identify as queer and so i feel like i would be unsafe yeah yeah if people found out that my sexuality was not heterosexual um also my partner is non-binary and so the two of us in Ghana it's just an unsafe environment yeah, and I wouldn't just, put just, somebody I love through that you yeah, know yeah that situation totally get it yeah it will so, be hard it will be hard I guess it's also I want to live on an island me that's my dream <laughs> Ah uh, yes I I I think I'm on that boat too an island with no people or maybe some people but not too many people yeah an island yeah. is like the perfect scenario for me Yeah and Ghana doesn't give me that so I mean I love I love the country as the place I was born and the place that taught me a lot of things but I think I tweeted this recently just because you were born somewhere that's not making your home and Ghana yes. has not felt like home to me Yeah ever Yeah, it's it's so weird. I was having the same thing with my other person I was talking to. We said the same thing like I it's just you just never feel at home. You don't you don't connect and you don't feel like this is where you should be. Even though you're born, I always say that even though you're born in a place, that necessarily means you have to be patriotic and support everything the country goes through. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you may want to go out and explore and see where you fit in and nothing is wrong with that. And you should never feel guilty about that because people want feel good like oh we'll come back to your home do do blah 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 but it's like yeah no, it just it just doesn't work for everybody some people want to come back home that's fine but not everybody wants to do that and it's fine too yeah and what i think we're also talking, yeah i think we're talking mm-hmm. about people wanting to leave ghana because they want to do other opportunities and i think that's also fine let them go and find what they want to do if they don't find they can yeah. come back Yeah, 100%. And honestly, borders are arbitrary and honest like immigration rules piss me off because <laughs> I feel like 
as human beings on the earth we should be allowed to occupy the earth as we see fit like we're citizens of the world yeah. and it feels very unfair and almost like dehumanizing to force people to be in one corner of the world and not see other things okay. and so being stuck in some village in Brahafo is Brahafo still the region i don't know the new regions <laughs> they change it oh i think that's bono something yeah. so being like being stuck in some village in bono is when you can go and see like the taj mahal or something but everybody's like oh yeah from ghana so when you go come back like it doesn't make sense to me or like a lot of us who left to go to college it's like oh when you go then you learn and you bring it back and help us it's like you people don't even want to help yourselves then me i should go and come back and help you <laughs> why is it on me <laughs> yeah yeah because you've gone out and you know the lord i'll come back and help your country when i came back to help they didn't want me so i've gone uh, again it's fine i tried fine. You try hey, as long as you try then you did your best hey you know what nobody's going to blame you. it's totally fine but yeah, yeah um yeah but this has been good uh really enjoyed this conversation i i love hearing people's thoughts about where they're from and what they think about the country but yeah it's it's one of those debates we were having about your hometown versus where you're born and where you want to live mm. so i got you i got you yeah I appreciate having this conversation too. I think it should be had more often. I agree. I totally And I think it should also there should be dialogues between those of us who have left and feel like we've um connected more to another country and those the people who are still in Ghana I feel like they feel at 100% at home. I think that dialogue should be have had so that we understand why there's such a difference between the two. It's it's an interesting difference. Like people are, I don't know, because I'm all, not having any problem. But I always look at people who are in a diaspora who want to come back like so hard, and I'm like, do you people know what's happening on the ground? And like they don't really know. They hear this hearsay and stuff, but like they've never actually come back on the ground to see what's happening for saying that Ghana is progressing or whatever. And I'm like, and internally in my head, I'm always having that thing. Like, you don't know what's going on. It's way different than yeah. you seeing on the news or seeing on on websites and stuff is way different and i'm always saying yeah. that if you really want to actually experience it come back for like you know 6 months to close to a year and then make mm-hmm. a decision of what is whether we're actually progressing there's opportunities but then there's a lot of negatives that's a fact <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of negatives so that's all depends on you but yeah totally agree yeah. i i a very very drastic example is you know Ghana was in the news even on CNN about um, in the beginning of the pandemic about how they were using drones to yeah. send test kits to people and it was this huge progressive thing it was like oh we're proud of you mm. and at the same thing this was happening my dad was at his project in Nalerugu and he was telling me that nobody there was wearing masks because mm. they said oh the virus is an Accra is an Accra virus Accra and virus. soon come here Mm-hmm. And I was like, look at the contrast. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, Ghana is so progressive. They're so ahead of the pandemic. And there's a mm-hmm. whole community of people saying this thing that is is an Accra thing. You won't come here. And like, we're being dramatic. I was just like, whoa. People yeah. don't really know what's happening on the ground. No, we don't. I mean, it's funny. There's always things like Accra is a bubble. When you leave Accra, everything changes. So people don't realize that there's a lot of different opinions what people think. It's it's jarring in a way, but yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. That is a reality. Yeah. But yeah, um so yeah, but I appreciate you for coming on making the time. Uh, I think it's going to be a really good uh, podcast. 
Yeah, I think so. Are you ever going to leave Ghana? What's that? Are you going to leave Ghana, do you think? Like anytime <laughs> soon? Oh my, it's funny. I was, having, I was having this conversation with somebody and I said to myself that I think for me personally, I, I would leave if I got the opportunity because mm. I, I just think that, I, as you said, I don't think I fit. Like I can adapt, but the mm. power and the mental capacity to takes to adapt is very high and it's kind of weighs on me in a way that I'm like this is not comfortable enough for me so yeah. if I got an opportunity I said I would leave and find something where I can actually I guess be myself I mean living in the US for like those college years were I think really good it made, I realized what skills I had and what I could contribute versus coming back and then seeing how hard you had to work for like the little things so yeah, I think I would definitely leave if I got the opportunity. Yeah, what you said about adapting really struck a chord with me because I I do feel like the two years I was in Ghana, I was basically staying afloat. Like mm-hmm. I never actually settled. It was just a lot of like, okay, you're here now, so act this way. <laughs> it was yeah. very much. It was code switching, ironically, but uh, like, uh, yes, in a country that's supposed to be your home. Yeah, exactly, your home. You don't even feel at home. Whereas with all the racism and stuff over here, I don't feel like I code switch as much, which is very ironic. I know, right? It's just all like, yeah, you can actually be, it can be yourself actually in a way, when you think about it, you can be more yourself more there than be yourself here. Yeah. It's, it's odd. It's very odd. But yes, kind of sad. But yes, anyway, <laughs> we will persevere. We'll move on and persevere. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. And I, w- I need to, we need to like contact each other more just to keep track of what's happening here and there. I agree. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. lived outside of Ghana or were you born here and then you left um yeah so I was born in Ghana did like everything like high school and everything in Ghana and then I came to college in the U.S. so I've like lived like a significant part of my life in Ghana I mean aside from like traveling and things like that like my domicile has always been Ghana like when, when was the first time that you left Ghana like to live or like in general to travel i think in general to travel oh i was probably like two (laughs) i was really young yeah my mom like really wanted to go to london and um she just took me with her yeah there's like so many funny stories behind that um, trip but yeah i was too young for the trip and it was well acknowledged that i was (laughs) And then after that, you came back and went to the whole school system. Yeah. You lived, you went to London. Like, how long did you stay in London before I could go on? Um, I think like three to six months. Oh, that's a long time, actually. Yeah. So my mom had to teach me how to read. So I learned to read when I was like three years old. <laughs> um, and when you came back, like, 
did it affect how you were raised or were you kind of raised, I guess, how everybody was raised? You went to school, you cut your hair or was it different for you? I think that, um, I think that the difference in how I was raised was more a question of exposure. And I think that there is something about um, even living in Ghana and going to certain schools and being around certain like groups of people or social circles that gives you a different um, type of exposure. And so like the media that you consume in terms of like TV, um, radio, music, even the internet is quite different. And for me in particular, I feel, I think that I also got on the internet quite early because my parents were really like, my dad was really like a big advocate of tech and like learning how the world is going to change. So I probably got on the internet way earlier than I was supposed to. Um, (laughs) So that also played like a big impact in like just how I saw the world around me, like growing up in Ghana. And so like being able to travel as well um on summer holidays like see your cousins see friends like be in a different environment and then coming back and being exposed to like international media all the time and just like even the nuances of not just like tv and radio media but like the internet and like social media and like boards and tumblr like that just kind of like it's a lot to consume so i guess it also socialized me in a way such that i have yes to answer your question um always felt different um like just felt different like in my social location but I think for me as well I had the added layer of just being someone who was I just used to read a lot and I used to like want to consume as much as possible and know everything um so I did feel different even within the social context that I've always found myself and I've always felt to be a little different if that makes sense you know it's funny you mentioned like oh, you grew up with tumblr and stuff i remember i grew up with yahoo messenger <laughs> and a and what is it? not AOL, like aim messenger like you know we had oh no yeah that's what i i was exposed to earlier on like okay back when people were chatting with google hangouts <laughs> oh wait well, what we're not even google hangouts even, oh even before that even before that <laughs> yeah we go on yahoo yahoo was like the shit back then like yeah, everything was Yahoo based. So you go in the room. Actually. Yeah, because you create your email, then you go in the chat rooms, and then go in random chat rooms, and everybody hits you with the, what is it, ASL? What's what um, I can't remember. I know it was, oh yeah, age, sex, location. Oh. So, yeah, that's, that, <laughs> that was what, that's how I learned to socialize on the internet. So that's how it came up. I think I vaguely remember the era of like Yahoo Messenger and like everyone decided at one point that it was whack so we all migrated to like MSN I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I remember that briefly when the Yahoo homepage was like full of like it was like this landing page was just so much stuff like news and pictures and things like that and then everyone decided that was whack and like if you wanted to search something you just had to go to a simple page you didn't need all of that. Yeah, true, true, true. But yeah, that was that was interesting as far as you know, you like you were talking to somebody in another part of the world, but it didn't really feel like it because you're just typing. It's it's yeah. really different now that we have like social media like Twitter, Instagram. You can see people's faces, so it's a bit different. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah, so with you, I think, when did you leave Ghana to go to college? Um, in 2017, so four years ago. Okay, okay so we, okay, I guess we can label you like Gen Z, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> okay, because it's interesting with this era how their generations differ as far as opinions and what they think about Ghanaian society right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always this back and forth about what the Gen Z people want to do compared to what the old generation don't want them to do, especially what happens with the latest news about LGBT and everything else. So, Larja, I want to f- just ask you, what do you think about like, Ghanaian culture and tradition compared to this modern way of thinking as far as trying to be more free and open in our society? You know what's so funny? Like, literally half an hour ago, I saw a tweet that was like, um, you know that meme where it's like someone winking? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. That's my favorite. <laughs> so one. I saw it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I saw a tweet that was like, oh, when the Ghanaian um, anthem says, help us to um, resist oppressive rule, da 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 da. And I was like, that's so interesting because I never even thought about it that way. But it's so true because my main gripe with Ghanaians in general is that they're just so comfortable. Like, they're just so, so, so happy to like just be comfortable like they're happy to eat one meal a day while there's like gluttonous leaders if someone else is starving they're okay like and i just don't understand that um just as a general perspective and like there's so many interrelated mechanisms that make it that way obviously but um i just feel that for people who are like lauded so much for being peaceful and for you know um, persevering on freedom and justice we don't even investigate the ways that that happens because we're passive and not because we've actively decided to do that do you know what i mean yeah. um so like coming even more closely i think in general gen, gen z has a tendency i'm speaking like very generally <laughs> here <laughs> um the um awake gen z and the worldly gen z um has um, the broad tendency to be more imaginative in terms of like um, thinking of how the world can be constructed um, and that's a really important thing so I study international relations and in international relations there's a theory of constructivism which um, proposes that like the basis of constructivism a gross oversimplification is that if you can imagine that things can be different you can construct them that way if everything a a lot of things are socially constructed um and the interesting thing about constructivism is that it can apply to so many other things like the the us coming together to agree for example um the paris agreement to agree that Mm -hmm. climate change is a problem that must be faced it's constructed people had to agree and establish that norm um so i guess my point of saying this is that like i wish Ghanaians in general just had more imagination for what could be and um we're just more willing to challenge that like just because things have always been done this way doesn't mean that they should be this way or that it it doesn't um benefit everyone to investigate whether they should be there or to even improve them just because like something is the case just because something is traditional something is cultural like 
does it like is it relevant to us today or people repeat certain narratives and it's like okay like this thing has been said over and over again but does it really make sense like that like and I just get a bit like agitated sometimes because I am the type of person who's always thinking about the best way to do things and so it's so infuriating and frustrating um, when people just seem very like content to be stagnant and in recent developments I don't know if this has just been a trend or if it's because I am now becoming like socially and politically aware but I've just like noticed so many potentially dangerous things that we let slide under the radar because no one really wants to make the agitation necessary to address them like um the issues with Atewa Forest, just just the general um, issues with allowing um, foreign people to come, um, just even even aside that whole um, controversy, just even the issue of sustainability and you know we're driving for industrialization, industrialization, and all of these things, and we're not really thinking about like sustainability and preserving our environment because oh that's how the first world did it, so we need to like catch up with them and play catch up. Um, and now like even coming more close to home on this whole LGBTQ plus thing, it's like, wh- how do you not see the potential problem in all of these gross like human rights violations here, right? And the potential problem in, on the basis of your identity being discriminated um, and harmed and put in harm's way. Like, how do you not see that that's a fundamental problem? And that once like someone's inalienable rights is in is alienated, that poses a problem for all of us. Like, it's like every like I said, everyone is just comfortable to maintain things like the way they are. And so even when I've been having discussions with people about moving back, and I've tried my best to like, you know, just learn as much as possible. And the dominating narrative I get is, don't bring your expectations here. Like, lower your expectations, or it's going to frustrate you. And I mean, it does get to a point where it's a coping mechanism and you just have to accept the way that things are so that you can survive your environment, right? But then at the same time, it seems as though everyone is very comfortable and that's the way things are, so adjust to it and adapt to it. But that's the way things are, so let's do something about it that's just like my general overview of like my experience I feel like. yeah that's true i mean largely Ghanaian society is very like you said very laid back so we don't really push a lot of things or we don't think the word is we don't experiment or try to go above and beyond fear like do you know that i think there's an allegory about the, the caveman who's always in his cave and always comfortable like he doesn't want to venture outside because he's a he's afraid of what's out there so I feel like it's the same with Ghana in a way where we don't want to go outside our boundaries and experience whatever is out there because of some weird fear we have. And it, it's funny, but interesting enough, like I just want to find out, do you think that going forward that there will ever be a change like maybe in your lifetime that we will kind of evolve or adapt in a way where we get more comfortable with being outside of our comfort zone? Um, well, first of all, I think the interesting thing about that is that it's one thing if you're comfortable in your comfort zone, and it's quite another if you expect everyone to also operate at that same level. And so 
the answer to your question is no. <laughs> I don't think that that's the case because um, as we've seen here, it, um, even like in recent, given everything that's happening, um, not only are people not willing to sort of push the bounds and shake the table to like to like make progress in all respects, they also have a certain type of resentment for those who actually are loud and like speak up and speak out and voice out. And I'm saying this because um, even like on so on on the internet, um, I see often like there's some journalists who just regurgitate and copy and paste like very poorly written articles and that are not even researched or whatever. And there's journalists who do their research who are very critical about um, powers that be and um, social mechanisms in the country and they constantly get a barrage of hate, a barrage of insults, a barrage of like, attacks. Like, why do you always have something to say? Why is nothing ever good enough for you? All of those things. And the people who just have very cheap, very basically worthless content, no offense, um, basically fly under the radar and actually get lots of engagement. So um, I think it's, it's quite dangerous. I, I feel like I would rather... Um, well, let me not say that, but um, I feel like it's, 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 <laughs> I was, no, so I was going to say that I would rather have someone overtly and actively try um, to, overtly and actively just be like, whack. I'd rather have a situation that's just that way um, and that like lends itself to fixing than to have one that's like that way subtly with good PR the way Ghana has um, yeah. and is comfortable in just having, I guess, like outside gentility, home cry, as my aunt would say, is like just comfortable with being, um, you know, very like basic and not even basic, sometimes even below standard um, and would resent you and would like actively prevent you from even making things better. And so like based on the current trajectory, even though I had hope in the past and like a little bit of me has some sliver of hope, and mm-hmm. I will try to do what I can to like make my little island around me, you know, as good as I think it needs to be. I don't think that generally the situation is trending to change anytime soon. I mean, we have like a president who's supposed to be like a big diplomat and a human rights lawyer and all of those things, and yet still, you know. Yeah, it's true. and. It's funny because I think you're living in the U.S. or you're doing university in the U.S. now. When you live in those countries, because I remember I was living in Houston for my college experience. And like, yeah, it's just the difference in like society or community or whatever. It's it's kind of jarring. It's kind of scary, especially when you see what they're advancing or trying to advance to do. And then Mm -hmm. you come back to Ghana and it's like, like you said, we are stagnant. We are not, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. And you wonder to yourself, so when what do we need to actually push over and do something bigger? Because it seems that we're just doing the the bare minimum. Yeah, you know what's funny? Like I always had like those you know those family members who always come to visit and they're just always complaining. I used to find them so jarring. Like I used to find them so irritating. Like, please stop talking. Mm. Um, they'll complain about like the road and the internet mm-hmm. and the malls, and I'm just like, please stop. But like now, I kind of understand it just because like it makes natural sense that if you are in a place that works, um, 
you know it works even and i say this because even living in america i was like well, wow their pr is really good because it's not as great yeah. as everyone makes it out to seem yeah. to be but i mean the most basic things at least would be accounted for to some extent and so i can understand the frustration that comes out of like you know expecting those basic things to be provided for i'll give you like an example it's such a small thing but um today i had to go to the hospital so i went to the hospital and i had to use the bathroom and while i was there i just noticed a little string and i looked up at it and it said emergency and i was like that actually makes so much sense because if you're coming to hospital there's probably something the chances that there's something wrong with you are high and you know you being in a bathroom you might look yourself in the bathroom and something might happen and you might not be able to get yourself out so it actually makes perfect sense to have an emergency string and it's like a small string too so you don't even have to do too much to mm-hmm. activate it um just that little thing that thought of that and provided for that is what i'm talking about um we live in a country where i will never forget like a year or so ago when there was a whole debate about like ambulances and only having i think mm-hmm. 53 or 55 national ambulances yeah. a politician came on twitter to say well i mean you know <laughs> like we've given you guys ambulances we bought ambulances for you as though they were doing us a favor right. or like when people yeah. were saying that um the emergency rooms and the hospitals like there's no beds and when you're going to the emergency room you need to buy chairs you need to go and buy a plastic chair and bring it to the emergency room for them to treat you um and then you have politicians coming to say well what matters is that you can have access to treatment mm-hmm. i mean even the bare minimum they make you feel like you're making noise by asking for it. So how do you move from that to even anticipating and preventing problems or like meeting people's needs? Like thinking of how to even make an already like how to even raise the basic standard, you know, from basic to better. Yep. When is you don't even want to raise it from like low to basic. <laughs> like totally. it's so jarring. It's so it's really disheartening actually. It is this hard thing and it's funny I was having this conversation with somebody and that leads me to like like my next point is that okay fine we know that there are problems in Ghana but is there anything we should look forward to about Ghana like something positive where we can say okay at least in Ghana we have this compared to maybe maybe America or some other country Oh absolutely I feel like the thing I hate most about Ghana tends to be the thing I love most about it <laughs> which is like how laid back it is because mm-hmm. like there's just a certainty I have in being in a car that I don't have anywhere else and um even like despite having like friends and like you know an ecosystem here that kind of works for me um there's something about it that just inspires you to like be easy um and I feel like I like I need that personally because I don't think I don't know if this is because I grew up in Ghana but I don't really work well in environments where it's like you work 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 to survive so that you can work you know um so that that's something that I always look forward to in general the people are friendly friendly because they are passive but like would take it <laughs> um and actually I think one exciting thing about Accra that like flies under the radar is how much food there is like this is such a random thing but like <laughs> there's actually a lot to eat in Accra and there's a lot to eat in Accra more I feel like more than there is for me in New York 
because mm-hmm. like there's a lot of ease in that cry and I know that everything is going to slap like everything is going to be so good um and there's so many spots and I feel like you know it the, in terms of like lifestyle like it really poses really good um if we can like re- fine-tune the experience of living in Accra right. it would be a very very great place to live the caveat to that is that Accra is a very very great place to live when you have the finances to do so <laughs> and mm-hmm. I am frequently shocked that I spend more money monthly in Accra than New York because that wow. is absolutely absurd but I do um and so I feel like that in itself is like a point where we can think about how to engineer this city so that it works for more people especially the like middle class especially the rising middle class um but it's a very promising city I feel like and the relative stability to contribute to that so yeah 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 I, I think I'll agree with you that yeah every time I'm, I'm in Accra like I'm in Accra right now but if I go out, I'm like, okay, there are certain things that you can see. Oh, this would be great if it had some extra add-ons, like to make it a better experience. But mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's. I don't know. Accra feels a very segmented. Like there's some places where you go, it's like, okay, this is nice, but then you go to other places, and it's like, why is this place so underdeveloped? <laughs> it's just, yeah. it's just so weird seeing the contrast. And, but yeah, I mean, it would be really good. Like, I think Accra has a lot of things to offer, but it just needs a little more development to get better, I think. A little more development by the right people, because yeah. I think some people would think that they're doing great. Mm, <laughs> that's true. They do. Th- yeah. I mean, it's funny. I got, well, I'd like to know your take on this, because it's always a debate that comes up. It has to do, like, diaspora versus the people living Oh my in Accra. god! <laughs> it's, it's it's always a big topic, and and I want to get your take on it. It's just that people feel oh not maybe I would say me a little bit, but not always all the time. But I the diaspora talks a lot more positive about Ghana. This even though they don't live here, like they always talk about they want to come back and live here and buy land and da da da. But the people here are like. Have you lived? You haven't even lived here for like close to three months. You will come in December, and then you leave and go back to wherever you're living. So there's always this, this kind of breaking reality that you don't actually live here. You're just living through the news on the international news. That you hear good news and think it's good, but on the ground is different. So I want to get your take. Like, where do you stand on that debate? Like, as far as diaspora living, talking about Ghana people <laughs> living down here. Okay. <laughs> um. I think that I understand, like, I understand the sentiment on both sides, even though I do not agree necessarily with, like, like I have a, I have, I have picked a side, but um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand the sentiment of um, someone who was probably born in Ghana and didn't like grow up here, and so experiences the country very sparingly um maybe every few years or even every year um and you know wanting to like connect with this or only experiencing it for short enough that um they always have positive things to say because like me I, I always I know my threshold anything after three weeks in our class I have to get angry like it's a given um 
<laughs> despite how much I love it, it's just that's just what always happens. Three weeks plus, I start to get very irritated. Um, and that's even because like I've lived here, I've lived there for so long. I can imagine that someone who comes like once a year, once every few years can stay even longer and not really be attuned to the problems and the issues in Accra and in Ghana more generally. Um, that's one thing. I also understand wanting to like celebrate your heritage because you don't necessarily feel like you belong or like you are um you don't necessarily feel an allegiance to where you're from. And this could even apply to people who come from places where um black and black people are marginalized yeah, on true. top, you know. So I understand that angle. However, I also understand um the frustration of living in a place and having people ostensibly only refer to the place or celebrate the place when it comes to time to you know when it when it's all positive um who are always ready to show up and represent the place in a positive way but are not necessarily ready to um speak out or like engage with it in any other way beyond like enjoying during holidays or like yeah basically so i feel like I fall more on that side because especially now so let's even just ignore everything and bring it down to like this year and what's like happened in the recent the past however many days um for what's going on to be happening and to see them to see people not speak and then all of a sudden come out of the woodwork come out of the woodworks to start um celebrating the country when a few days ago the country was you know carrying Basically, out gross yeah. injustices and yeah. you were fired I will understand why people will feel a way about that. Um and I myself would feel a way about that. I myself do feel a way about that. Um but at the same time too there are also people who just in general do not engage with things in any type of critical manner. You can have people who like live in America and never even speak on issues of social justice or police brutality and will never even show up to like celebrate independence day beyond eating barbecues. Um and that's where like oh yeah I'm from Ghana so like that's the, that's my country that's where I'm going to represent their independence day. That's where I'm from. But like all of that stuff is not me. Like I guess that's who is there. Um but it, it and that's that's one thing and that's valid. You don't need to give your voice to everything and you don't need to give your voice to speak out about issues because you might not even have the range to do so. Yep. However, at the same time <laughs> at the same time it will come off any type of way if your only interaction with a country ever is to like put some tree words there say what your Ghanaian is hold your Ghana flag take pictures and go like yeah. no one is like in the same way that like you are equally Ghanaian and your experience is very valid as Asian Ghanaian or second or whatever like your experience is valid and your connection to Ghana is valid no one is bringing that into um question yeah. but at the same time too my like other people's experiences of living materially on the continent on the country in the country sorry and having to face like all the problems that come as a result of living in the country and the country's leadership and all of those things like i will understand why it would be irritating to see that it's is irritating to see that so i feel like i mean i guess it's like nobody wants to hear that this is annoying this thing you do is annoying but i also feel like it's one of those things that at least not if it was outside of this case outside of like 
gross human rights violations and things that actually require people to be like like wait a minute that's kind of fucked up um outside of that i feel like it's it's fine to even just consider it irritating and move on you know like just consider it kind of annoying maybe like a quirky little thing that we used to like make fun of them or tease them or whatever and just leave it at that but i feel like that does like it does come to a point where you need to open your eyes like you need to engage you need to say something for example nigeria with nsart oh, like yeah. you saw their diaspora pulling up and showing so much, out and yeah. if not they were drag and it was like you know not that i don't subscribe to drag culture but like if nsart got the forward notion it got because of the action of the diaspora That's they cool. like they they got verified on twitter within days jack was posting about them they had you know like they were able to organize and collect donations via bitcoin even when they were freezing bank accounts they were able to mobilize um and just infographics people were really showing up and showing out and a lot of that came from the strength of that, their diaspora and in fact over in nigeria too i do see a lot of those things play out where some people are like you know celebrating their nigerianness on independence day but more often than not it is the case that you see a lot of diasporic nigerians engaging with the continent if they're engaging with their country um and so i just don't see why that cannot be the case with us and also this just goes back to what i'm saying about how ghanians don't like any type of conflict or shaking the table because it's like (laughs) once people started to actually call this out because this issue is serious and it's like why are you bullying them like let them you know yeah, enjoy being, yeah. and you're being bitter you're being jealous and it's like no like this is a very material problem but i mean i i get it but at the same time you know like something you need to know like you need to read the room first of all yeah. and also as like our collective consciousness in general like on a global scale our collective consciousness is expanding beyond just like superficial engagements with things in general and that's the reason why in this day and age someone can come and make a scandal about Meghan Markle's earrings being from that Saudi Saudi guy like because back then it would be like who even cares but yeah. now it's like our collective consciousness is expanding to the point where it's like no that's egregious like someone could see that as wrong yeah. well not given this particular set of circumstances but objectively speaking we the reason they could use that as an angle is because they know that now that that kind of stuff isn't going to fly under the radar and so like as our collective consciousness expands and even as people get older you need to know that like the way that you're engaging with the world it doesn't have to be serious all the time and you don't have to talk about weighty things all the time but you need to be a little more critical and you need to be, be you know aware and that's what i mean about Ghanaians not wanting progress in general it seems to be our attitude is because they don't even want to hear and their mind is like you think your mind is big and you think you know too much and you think that you have all the influences but it's like no you actually do need to be aware of what's going on so that you if you say that you're from a place and you love that place so much and you're so proud to be from there and you're happy to celebrate it you should also be proud enough of the place to where if it's doing egregious things it embarrasses you yeah. you should appreciate and love your country enough if you love it as much as you say you do to call it out when it's doing wrong so it does things for the better for all the people who live there um so simply saying like oh i just want to like I don't know East Mauritania and where my red gold green and play my daddy number like that's not enough unfortunately yeah. that's just the reality of it and as an individual you should want 
to want better for the country that you claim that you love so much. True, true. So, do you think that if we ever had some sort of NSARS moment in Ghana, that we would have the same type of diaspora engagement? Mm, you see, the thing is, I don't even think we would have <laughs> an NSARS moment in Ghana because who has the audacity? Like, who? Like, they don't like. It's so sad. But yeah, when NSARS was happening, I was like, this would never happen in Ghana. And I was mm. so like happy and bursting with so much pride that I supported it so actively because I was thinking this is what we could have if we were willing to organize and if we cared about things strongly enough. Funnily enough, you asked this, but as NSARS was happening and people were, you know, saying that we need to pay attention because police also um, abuse their power in Ghana. And... Yeah you know, that like the situation happening that could easily happen here. And people were like more interested in what do you mean by that? And the police are nice and the only thing they do is collect money from you um, if you don't have your license or collect money from you when you violate, you, you know, you can just pay them. And I'm thinking, you know that you're not supposed to have a price for the police, right? Like, you know that mm-hmm you know the price for not having your driver's license is 30 30 cities and the price for like having drugs and he's 800 cities you know that that's <laughs> not how it's supposed to that's, work it's not normal like <laughs> that's like you see you should want things to work and be normal because that means that like what happens to you if that day you're completely skinned and you don't have money to give the police and it, it does happen where like police like plants drugs and they get away with so many things that's because true. it's like oh it's Ghana and who's going to do anything about it and that attitude that Nigerian police officers had saying that oh I'll do this to you and nothing will happen a lot of police in Ghana act the way they act because they know that nothing nothing will happen nothing yeah no consequences so you see so for people to even be jumping to their defense and to be saying the kind of things they were saying it was just like okay then you guys cry if something even to that extent happens you'll find reasons and explanations for why it's okay so I just <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to sound so negative. No, I don't no, know. it's fine. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but then, okay. So this 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 last question is going to be a bit tricky. Let's talk then. about happy things. <laughs> I mean, we did. We mentioned now, you know, the food is great and lots of food and everything. I mean, there was some positivity. Great gown, beautiful gown. <laughs> I mean, we also have nice clothing. We also have, you know, our festivals here. We still celebrate those, thankfully. Oh. So it's all good. But okay, mm-hmm. so. Um, Let's, let, let's try to close it out on this one. So if I put a gun to your head, right, and I ask you to choose, you would have to come back to Ghana and live the rest of your life, or you can live or pick a place where you want to live for the rest of your life without coming back to Ghana ever. Which one would you choose? Uh, you know what's so sad is that I would always, always choose Ghana. Oh, okay. What reasons would you give? Because, like I said, like there's actually nowhere else that I feel that at peace. Okay. Like, but you also you should take everything I say with a grain of salt because <laughs> so far, no, because so far my experience has been as like a dependent 
and has been as like a student and has you know even when I was I like my experience of adulthood so far has largely been in the United States and has not been in Ghana so I'm used to kind of like navigating that system as an adult I've not experienced like adulthood in Ghana in Accra in its fullness yet in terms of like supporting myself working trying to make things work and like those type of things so maybe my answer will change <laughs> maybe it'll change <laughs> I got you it's fine I mean it's a tricky question like do you want to go somewhere else and live I think I asked some people this question and you know what it comes down to is where would you want to go to live a more comfortable life because sometimes the opportunities in Ghana are not that great and maybe your mm-hmm. skills are best to use elsewhere whether in the US or Canada or Europe you know so it really depends on you but yeah it's it's a tough question yeah. but and it, it I think com- it depends on sorry yeah um yeah, go ahead oh I was just gonna say I think it also just depends on like individual value systems True. because I think that for me um and again take this with a grain of salt but I feel like I prioritize um my comfort and mm. sort of like mental like having family and friends like I prioritize those things like and just like my general happiness and just feelings of comfort um over wealth um and opportunity because that's the only reason why I'm planning to move back right now (laughs) (laughs) because you're more comfortable when you're here which makes sense yeah I think I'm a little bit the opposite because I think when I'm outside I feel more comfortable than when I'm here mm-hmm. I mean yeah why do I you can, think that's the case um I think I just value systems and efficiency more like mm-hmm. if I go to a place where the system works and it's more it's geared towards efficiency like I think I'm more comfortable because I mean here you never know what's going to happen. Today, tomorrow I might wake up tomorrow and I have no lights or my water is not running or something. But if I'm in a better system, there's almost a guarantee that the probability of that happening is very, very low. But in Ghana, it's like, yeah, it could happen tomorrow. You just don't know it. And yeah, I'm drawn, I'm drawn to that. Yeah, that's so interesting. Wait, so your answer is that you would live elsewhere? Yeah, I think I would live elsewhere. I see it. I, I, I get this. I think I would also live elsewhere and I'm just capping. But like also, <laughs> I feel like, you know, you see, the thing is, I feel like what, what's most likely to happen is that I would choose to stay in Ghana and then mm-hmm. be so angry at myself, but then be like, you know that if you had to go back and choose, you would still <laughs> And just be frustrated and just living in the frustration. <laughs> The thing about Ghana that everybody says is that if you have money, you know, you'd be comfortable in Ghana, you're sorted. But if you don't, yeah, then you're going to struggle. Even that one has an aesthetic, to be honest, because even there's only so much you can get in, in terms of like healthcare, in terms of like even holidays. Like, oh, yeah, but you, you, just, you, you just fly out, you come back when you're done. <laughs> That's, that's, how that's how it works you know you can have a comfortable okay house. so we can leave we can yeah, go and come you can go and come okay if you could go and come you would go and come right? <laughs> yeah well, if I could go and come there's no problem at all I would definitely stay in <laughs> alrighty alrighty okay um, so this has been good uh, I think we discussed a lot yes. talk about food and 
how expensive our cries and we'll keep it expensive. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's always interesting topic talking about Ghana. Like it's is one of those is like a love and hate relationship in a way. It's an abusive relationship. Thank you. It's a but it's it, like it emotionally is. abusive instead of like physically abusive. You know, so it's like. Is it me or is everyone crazy? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 so weird. It, as you said, it's a, it's a emotionally abused. I'm like, come on, you guys cannot be living in the same country I'm living, right? Like, it feels so bad. Right? Other people say it's actually pretty good. I'm like, no, it's not. There's so many bad things that we need to fix. Yeah. And, and it's it's like, come on, guys, it's 2021, and there's some things that we haven't fixed yet that were like, like, come on. You know what's this. so interesting about that is like, you know, even though it's so idealistic, I still have this feel- feeling every time I get that thought, it's like, okay, so what can I do to like make this better for myself? <laughs> you know, because it's like, is this just always going to be that way? Like it takes hmm. someone to be like, okay, let's do this little bit or let's do that little bit. And sometimes I do see that happening. Um in terms of just like everyday experiences like you'll find that one gem that just does things differently and you're like okay i'll stick to you you know yeah yeah we don't know when it's gonna happen we don't know when that big change is gonna happen <laughs> if <sighs> if it's going to happen if, if it's going to happen yeah i asked him the same question like in our lifetime we're gonna get this and she's like nope and I can see why she said that. It's very understandable. Yeah, I know. And uh-huh. it's, it's kind of like, it's sad, but I don't know. You, you, the thing is, to do better, you have to want better. And that's, mm-hmm. I guess, my, like, to summarize all my thoughts about Ghana, it's just that I really just want Ghanaians to want better for themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, because wanting better is what gives you that, like, forward motion to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And if enough of us want better, we can actually make it happen. Do you know what I mean? I just don't feel like we are um, aggressive enough. Why not? But we'll see. Maybe your generation might do a better job. Maybe they won't. Well, we'll see. I wouldn't hold my breath on that. <laughs> okay. And on that note, <laughs> we can just finish up a wrap-up. Okay. okay. Yeah, this is so fun. Yeah. And that does it for our modern hometown episode. I really hope you like those conversations. So stay tuned. I think we'll take a break for next week, but we will be back with another episode. The next episode will be about modern religion. So that should be pretty good. So thanks for listening and catch you next time.